Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Peace the past. that passes my understanding love that conquers my fear and regret joy unending eternal pleasure in your presence Seek first. 
Trusting in your promise to give me perfect peace that passes understanding that makes my fears release. I'll keep my mind on you. I'll keep my mind on you. Your everlasting truth never fails. Never fails. Never fail. 
that's good. How are you, church? Oh, wow. Yeah, that sounded good. Um, but I know you must be good because you guys overcame two obstacles to get here this morning. One was the time change, pastor's worst nightmare, and, and rain. You guys are here. So you guys are my favorites. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but if you tell anybody that wasn't here this week that, I will deny it, um, except for we are online. Hey, online service people. <laughs> So it's great to be with you guys this week as we continue a series that we started last week called Truth Over Trend, where we are talking about some of God's truths, even though it might not be too trendy to talk about that in church. In fact, there are a lot of things that are trendy to talk about in church. If you go back to our January series, really trendy. If you go to our February series, even more trendy. If you talk about this series, not too trendy. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to talk about some of God's truths that aren't trendy to talk about in church, and yet that's what we're doing in this series. So welcome to the Vine if you're here for the first time. We're talking about some not-so-trendy things in church, but they're really important things to God. And as we discovered last week, there are some certain things that, that God's heart is for that we need to discuss in church because as a church, we're called to be God's people and God's representatives, God's ambassadors, or as we learned last week, ministers of reconciliation. And so we're going to pick up that conversation today uh, with a topic that is not fun to talk about. In fact, people were like, hey, thank you for uh, last week's message. And I said, well, just pray for next week's message because it's going to be even heavier. And that's because we're talking about the subject of human trafficking or modern day slavery today. So, hey, there's still time. If you need to leave, you can go uh, now. But uh, we're going to continue that conversation about some of God's truth when it comes to modern day slavery and human trafficking. And, um, and when, uh, until about six years ago, I guess, uh, when I'd heard those words, they were simply kind of buzzwords or words that would be expressed in media, maybe around the time of Super Bowls um, or uh, some Hollywood themes or subjects. Uh, for example, in 2008, uh, there was a movie that came out called Taken, and it starred Liam Neeson. And Liam Neeson was the main character. He was a former CIA operative. He had a particular set of skills that were handy. Uh, When his daughter, who went on an international trip, uh, was taken, she was abducted, she was placed into trafficking and then uh, uh, moved across uh, Eastern Europe uh, for the purpose of being a slave. And um, so he goes out and he, he sets out, and because he has a particular set of skills, he's able to find her, he's able to rescue her, and uh, I went with a group of guys from our church. They called me up and they were like, hey, we're going to see this movie. It looked interesting. It had Liam Neeson in it. I mean, who doesn't want to see a movie with Liam Neeson in it? Am I right or am I right, right? And uh, yeah, Revival's about to break out. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, um, and so we go and we see this movie and we walk out and we're just silent. Um, but we all had the same feeling as we kind of reflected on it a little bit later. And that was that we wanted to go fight somebody. Um, the only problem is we didn't have a particular set of skills uh, to use, and most of us weren't good with our 9 millimeter handguns, you know, so, I mean, what were we going to do with that? You fast forward a little bit, or if I look back a little bit to six years ago, I'm sitting in a room. Uh, it's called Annual Conference. It's a gathering of about 2,000 pastors and leaders from churches. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? And we're in that meeting, and we see a video. It's not a Hollywood fictional film starring Liam Neeson. It's a video that is a documentary on human trafficking, especially human trafficking in Atlanta. And when I'm watching this video uh, six years ago, um, we're in that audience and we're completely silent as we learn that Atlanta is the nation's capital for 
human trafficking to where over 500 kids are traded in slavery every month and where 65% of that occurs outside of the perimeter. And if you know anything about geography, you know that we are outside the perimeter. And so we watched this documentary, and we all kind of had that same response. We were, we were silent. We all wanted to fight, uh, but this time what we knew is that we had to fight. The, that was the difference. It wasn't something that we could ignore any longer because there was a Hollywood fictional film about it. This was something that we had to engage in. And I believe that that was a great gift from God for us because what we learned in that moment is that we didn't have to have a particular set of skills to be engaged in this fight. We had to have the Spirit of God dwelling in us and to partner with people that already have that set of skills. And what we want to talk about today is God's heart for slaves, God's heart for those that are trafficked in kind of modern context, and then how we can participate with people who have that particular set of skills. And so in just a moment, we're going to take a look at God's response to the first recorded human slave and slave trade that's taken place in uh, Egypt. And so if you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to go with me to Exodus, Exodus chapter 2, that's where we're going to be. And just for the context of this message today, I just want to kind of lay out what we're talking about when we talk about uh, modern day slavery. Uh, we certainly have a long history of slavery in the, the history of the world, uh, certainly also in the Bible. Um, but we, we also um, are familiar with that in our country. Uh, we had three centuries of, of slavery here where people were forced to come to this country um, and to the tune of about 10 million people. Uh, but that's not the context for which we're talking about today. We're, today we're talking about um, slavery that exists currently in the world where uh, about 27 million children are um, enslaved for the pleasures of others so that people can profit, and um, we'll see God's heart for them today. But to know God's heart, we go back to that first recorded event of um, slavery. It's found in Exodus. Uh, these are the Israelites, uh, God's chosen people, God's covenant people, where God made a, a promise to them that he would be their God, that if they were his people, uh, this was made through a guy named Abraham. Uh, and then a couple of generations later, we find that these um, offspring of Abraham, they go down to, to Egypt, and in Egypt, they actually find favor with Pharaoh, who is the most powerful uh, person on the planet at that time. And for 400 years, they uh, rested in this place of prominence and, and power, but then there was a Pharaoh who didn't know their story and didn't know their background, and he recognized that there were a bunch of them and not as many Egyptians, and so he forced them into slavery, and in fact, some of the things that we would recognize as being some of the most prominent things that are on the planet that we would go and take pictures of today were produced because of that slavery. Uh, but then shortly after we have the description of them going into slavery in Exodus chapter 1, we have God's response in Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 23. We're going to take a look at three verses, and then we're going to see three um, responses of God towards this issue of human slavery. And so let's take a look at these three verses, Exodus chapter 2, uh, verse 23 through 25. We'll have the words on the screen so you can read along. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. 
their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God's heart for slaves found in three ways. And the first is this, that God hears the cry of his children. God hears the cry of his children. We, we see that in three references, uh, either the people of God cry out to God because of their slavery, or God listens to the cry of his children who were in slavery. And what this lets us know is that there's a deep connection between uh, the people crying out to God and God's compassion for people. In the same way that there's a deep connection between a child's cry and a parent's compassion for their children. Now, there are some Sundays where I'll have people come up to me after service is over and they will apologize that their child, their baby, cried in service. I just want you to know uh, there is no need to apologize uh, because when I get up here, I, like blinders are on. I can't even see like people that are right here in this section because like they're blinders in my eyes. But um, blinders are on, we're focused. Like all preachers, they'll say the same thing. We just get in the zone and there's rarely anything that can distract us, even crying babies. Now that's, we've got a great nursery, by the way, and, and great kids do. So, you know, you're welcome to take your kids over there, but, but, but nothing gets in our way. So they'll come and they'll apologize. And the truth is that like a lot of times I might hear it, but I don't know where it comes from and I don't know who that child belongs to, okay? So you're off the hook, okay? All right, you're off the hook. Um, but what's interesting is that when all of my kids were little and, and Liz wouldn't trust the nursery in that moment and brought them in, if my kids started to cry, I could hear it and I would notice that. And then we would have a conversation with my kids. I would be like, hey, baby. Listen, while daddy's preaching, don't distract me. You know, no. I mean, like, there's this deep connection where a parent can recognize and hear the cry of their child. And not only that, but the parents, once they're acquainted with their kids, they actually know and understand the significance of the cry because there are different cries, right, for babies? Yeah, there's the, the wet cry, then there's the hungry cry, then there's the sleepy cry. There's some other cries too, but I mean, those are the three that are most recognizable. And this is the deep connection between a child's cry and the parent's compassion for their children. In the same way, God has compassion for his children when they cry out. And if statistics are true, my guess is that there are about 27 children across this world, 27 million children across this world, who are crying out to God. And that God is compassionate towards. God hears them. And our call in recognizing that God has a heart and a compassion for children that cry out to him is to cry out also. We don't have to have a particular skill set, even when it comes to this life of prayer. It's just simply doing what God innately wired us to do when we're children and we're distressed and in despair, and that is to cry out in desperation to him. To the point where you see in Scripture, at least over two dozen times, people crying out to God, maybe not specifically for slavery, but in every instant, God having compassion for those crying out, and then also the command for God's children to cry out. Like in the Psalms, when we're told to cry out to God in our day of trouble, for he delivers. So while this might seem like an 
irrelevant thing because maybe you're not dealing with it personally. It's a relevant thing because we all bear the image and the likeness of God. Therefore, until we are adopted in faith, we, we have this kind of general umbrella term that every person is a child of God. It's relevant because every child bears the same image and likeness of God that you bear. And as they cry out, our call is to cry out too. And when we cry out to God, God is attentive to the cries of his children. And he answers them. He answers them. Um, he answers them in the second way that God demonstrates his heart for human trafficking and human slavery. And that is that God, that God hears the cries for his people and then God remembers his purposes. God hears the cries of his people and God remembers his purposes. As you read through those three verses that we listed, God remembered his purpose. God remembered his covenant. And, it, and it's not like God forgot. I mean, God can't forget things, right? The only thing we know that God like forgets in scripture is sin, where God forgets our sin, forgives our sin as if it didn't exist um, or didn't exist. But, but what we discover is that God remembers his purpose in this moment. And you see that phrase over and over. Uh, so what that means is that the people of God recognize that at certain moments in history, when God makes a promise, it becomes realized. In that moment, they say that God remembers. In this moment, God remembers his covenant that he made with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's offspring are the ones that came down to Egypt and then were caught up in slavery. God heard their cry, and God remembers his purpose for them. And the purpose in that covenant was to say, hey, you be mine and I'll be yours. And in, in me being yours, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you in a way that you'll be prosperous in number, uh, prosperous in fame, Abraham, and then prosperous in a way that out of your line will come a blessing for the entire world. And we know that blessing to be Jesus. And so in order for God to move uh, the, these people from slavery to to move people in, in the entire face of the planet from slavery to sin, he had to remember his promise and remember his purpose. And he remembers that fully and personified in Jesus. Uh, Jesus comes along and we, we find that Jesus knew his purpose. Very early on in ministry, he, he stands up in church. He interrupts church service. I mean, it would be like one of you walking up here. Don't you dare do that. I've got a particular set of skills. But anyway, so it would be like one of you walking up here, open up the pages of Scripture to Isaiah, and Jesus starts reading. And you can find this in Luke chapter 4. He starts reading. And, and what he proclaims in, in, in a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 4, or Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, when he reads, is that the Lord has placed his Holy Spirit upon him and has anointed him. And that's what anointing means. It's when, there, when, when the Holy Spirit is present and, and, and powerful in our lives. And that he has received this anointing to preach good news to the poor, release to the captives, and to set at liberty those that are oppressed. And that's exactly what Jesus does. As you see, kind of like for three years, he has this itinerant preaching ministry where he goes into towns, he goes into communities, and he demonstrates the power of God, but he also proclaims the power of God. He proclaims the power of God that is available for all through, through entrance into the kingdom of God. And then he participates in 
that proclamation of release, liberty, freedom, by dying on the cross. He dies on the cross as a substitute for our sin. We, we learned last week that he became sin even though he knew no sin so that we could be reconciled with God, that, that our, our debt that we owe to God could be zeroed out, we could be at level, we could be made right with God. He does this so that we would earn the right to become children of God, not, not for the first time, but adopted, chosen into the family of God as we receive Jesus by faith as Lord and Savior. And then we are, filled with that same spirit that Isaiah prophesied about, that Jesus proclaimed in Luke chapter 4 as resting upon him in anointing power and presence of God to carry on the same compassion of Jesus. And so if you would count yourself as a follower of Jesus, that means that you have that same spirit of God residing in you to anoint you with power to proclaim good news to the poor release to the captive, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That is the Spirit of God that resides in you. This is not anything that we can sit and be silent about any longer. And just as we talked about last week, we're called to stand and to speak. And that's why our church a few years ago partnered with uh, Street Grace. Street Grace is a non-for-profit ministry that is here in Metro Atlanta. They exist for three purposes specifically. Uh, the first one is awareness. And, and so over the years, we've partnered with them in Lobby Day, where we've gone down to the Capitol. We have, we have lobbied Congress uh, to try to change laws in the state of Georgia that would maybe then set a trend in the entire nation, which it has, uh, to where they would change laws to protect children and to help children uh, stay out of this form of slavery. They exist to educate. And so what they do preventatively is they, they try to educate as many children as possible, as many families as possible, as many men and women as possible about what's happening in um, this area of trafficking. And then they also uh, are involved in action. And because of our partnership with them, there have been children who have come out of slavery who have been rehabilitated from slavery and are leading a life that Jesus says in John 10, 10, he came to give, and that is life and life to the full. It's why we partner with Street Grace, and there are plenty of other partners. But when we understand God's purpose, which Galatians 5, 1 tells us, that it is for freedom Christ has set us free. When we understand God's purpose, that that in Christ we would find freedom for his glory and for our fulfillment. If that's his purpose and his spirit resides in us, it's our purpose as well. And because it's our purpose, we stand up and we speak up. We proclaim and we participate in God's purposes. And then the final way that God demonstrates his heart, not only does he hear the cry of his people, he remembers his promises, is that he knows each one by name. God knows each of his children by name. Um, when you, you take a look at this last verse, there's a curious phrase in verse 25. It says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Um, what did God know? Well, 
it's kind of hard to know from the context what God knew, uh, except if you go back to the original manuscript language of the Old Testament, which is Hebrew, that word new in Hebrew is yada. Everybody say yada. Now, yada is one of our favorite words to use at the Vine uh, because so many of us are Seinfeld fans, right? And so uh, we just know, no, because we're Hebrew fans, right? Okay, we'll use that one. That one sounds a little bit holier. So yada, yada means to know, but not just an intellectual knowledge, an intimate knowledge. It's a, it's a deep personal knowledge. And so when God saw his people, he hears their cry, he remembers his purposes, he knows his people. He knows them intimately, personally. That's what yada means. And you got to believe that God's taken account of every one of these Hebrew slaves. And, he's known, and he knows them by name. He's, he's calling them by name. In the same way that we would say 27 million children today, God knows and he knows them by name. He knows them personally. And there is no possible way for for us to know all 27 million people in the world and to know their names. And that's why our mantra here at the Vine is one till everyone. One till everyone. Because we can't, we can't possibly reach everyone for Christ, but we can reach one until we reach everyone, until we partner with all the churches worldwide to reach everyone for Jesus. And the same is true when it comes to our call to participate in the heart of God for those that are trafficked as human beings to know one. One of the great treasures of our church's history is a guy named Dan. Dan has moved down to Atlanta and, and has joined a different church community over the last couple of years. But uh, Dan is a guy who, when I preached after hearing um, six years ago about what was taking place in Atlanta, he came up immediately and he said, what can we do? And I said, well, I don't know. You tell me, what, we, what can we do? And Dan's a lawyer. And one of his lawyer friends is a woman named Cheryl DeLuca Johnson. And Cheryl DeLuca Johnson uh, lives in Chateau Lawn, right down the road from us. Not only does she live right down the road from us, she was at that time CEO of Street Grace. And so Dan, because he was good friends with Cheryl DeLuca Johnson, got Cheryl DeLuca Johnson to come and speak at our church. We had uh, over 100 people come that night. We had over 70 people sign up to be participants in what Street Grace was doing in a real tangible way. And then Dan, he took that to the next level. Dan his law firm was Atlanta, would drive once a week over to a school in an area that um, I guess you could say was maybe a little bit more susceptible to um, some of the dangers of trafficking later on. And he met with a group of boys once a week, every week, and he mentored them. And he and I, we'd grab coffee every couple of weeks or so, and and he'd start to tell me the names of the boys that were in his group, their background, their challenges, their situation, and the hopes and the dreams that he had for them. That's the, that's the heart of God. That's what it means that, that God knows, that God knew them. And that's exactly how we participate in the heart of God in the area of human trafficking. We don't try to tackle 27 million we start with one till everyone in a way that we know because of investment in a person's life. Who they are, where they come from, what their challenges are, and what God's hopes and dreams are for their life. And Dan's a great treasure, but so are you. And each one of us has the ability in some way 
to influence this modern generation of slavery and to help bring about release for them as captives. So this morning as we wrap up message, I just got a couple of ways that I, I want to invite us to respond. You know, uh, we said last week that the church, the ancient church kind of termed this season of 40 days leading up to Easter as this thing called Lent. Lent's a funny word, but basically what Lent is, is it just means a season of reflection, a season of repentance, and a season of response. And so as we wrap up the message with the time of prayer, I, I want us to do that. I just want us to reflect. I want us to reflect on kind of what we've heard today, maybe what you have known about today's topic. And then I want us to, to repent where we need to repent. Now, now, some of us in this room, we might just need to repent in general for, for our uh, transgressions against God and, and trust in Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life so that we're adopted sons and daughters of God. But others of us, maybe we just need to repent for complacency or or maybe apathy when it comes to hearing the headlines, the buzzwords, or maybe even the stats and the stories that we've heard about. Maybe some of us need to repent of things that, that when you talk to almost any group that's active in this area of ministry would say is one of the leading contributors for um, trafficking in, in suburbs, and that's uh, pornography usage. We reflect, we repent, we respond. Maybe some of our responses this morning, simply trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe making a commitment and a covenant to cry out to God as we're commanded to do and as God hears the cries of his people. And then others, maybe this is gripping your heart in a way where you want to participate with street grace. And we want to help you do that. Desperately he wants us The things of earth Stand next to him Like a candle to the sun Unfailing father What compares to his great love
Sing this out. 